we got a real simple plan. One man, one mission. Georgia has won the national championship. I think this is sports heaven. This might be college football heaven. This is ESPN's College Game Day podcast. Now alongside Pete Thamel, is Reese Davis. Mr. Saban goes to Washington, and so too will Mr. Thamel. A Ted Lasso sequel and reboot on this side of the pond, and we are your friendly casting directors. This is the College Game Day podcast for Tuesday, June 6th. Reese Davis and Pete Thamel here. Pete is headed to Washington, D.C., not just to cover the SEC contingent that will be headed there to try to lobby Congress to help college football and the NCAA get out of its own way as it pertains to the NIL space. And I'm not sure if that's sort of like asking a sinking boat to come to your rescue, asking uh, Congress for help. But that is the plan, I guess, to try to establish some type of structure uh, which would be best best defined and best conceived, in my judgment, by bargaining. But that's going to take a complete overhaul. And it's going to take a while. And we know in our society, everybody wants a quick fix. Somebody tell me, please give me a rule so that I don't get in my own way and stub my own toe. Pete, what do you expect to come out of uh, your trip to Washington, D.C. and these meetings with our congressional leaders? Well, it is a wonderful collision, Reese, of two governing bodies defined by dysfunction, inertia, and <laughs> constant chaos. So they uh, they are they are seeking each other right now, and, and it's a really interesting moment in time. Uh, you talked to like I talked to a coach yesterday, and we talked about the California bill for uh, for a while, which is sort of looming out there as a potential change agent for the entire sport. Um, you know, the NCA needing a congressional bailout is so rich with sort of potential jokes. I don't even feel compelled to make them. Um, <laughs> I think this. I think the sport right now needs some sort of linear direction, and I really feel like Charlie Baker, who I'm going to be on a panel with on Thursday, his task is to do something, Reese, that I don't think any NCA leader and even really conference commissioner has done in the 20 years that I've covered this circus. And they have to step back and they have to say, okay, what do we actually want this to look like in five years, in 10 years? And let's govern our association and bring along our billion-dollar businesses to form into the vision that we want. Because there's just been so many short-term solutions and so many knee-jerk reactions and so many, well, this court can't pass. I mean, NIL is because like a bill passed in California allowing it. And then it was this like domino effect all the way through. Now we have the state laws in the SEC, which was one of the interesting stories at Media Day. So there's just all these like small bursts, cloud bursts of panic, new, how do we adjust? And we really need Charlie Baker's task is to step back and to say, what is this actually going to be look like for a functioning model for the next generation? And then we have to push everything, I think, in adherence to that. Well, this, deciding what that model is, is the big problem, Pete, because mm -hmm. people are caught in the past or caught in nostalgia, because in all honesty, what it seems like many of the leaders in college sports want is they want to be rescued from the free market. 
there's this mes- misconception in some places that NIL is some brainchild of someone that was concocted and given to athletes. No, everybody has that right. The athletes were limited from pursuing that prior to this. So what they need to do in establishing this new idea, new concept, and what they want it to look like in five years is engage with it by bargaining and negotiating. Now, they might need some help in how that's structured and perhaps congressional regulations of some type would help with that. But what isn't practical and what's not realistic is that Greg Sankey and Nick Saban are going to go in and sit down with Joe Manchin or Tim Scott or whoever and walk out of there and say, hey, here's how we're going to do it. Because as you mentioned, there are tons of state laws already on the books that have to be contended with. What's going to be challenged in court? What will lose in court? And then you have the whole issue of the collectives. The idea with the collectives is that that money is often and usually distributed based on ability or market value. And I saw recently where some have referred to this as cheating, as if somehow there wasn't cheating before. I understand that you know, you're not supposed to, under the guidelines, use NIL as an inducement. So what are you saying? You're saying if we we take away these collectives, we take away this cheating, and I'm using air quotes around it because I'm not sure that it really is, what you're doing then is, is bringing back the old way. You're bringing back the, you know, leaving a bag of money under a bridge someplace or funneling it through, you know, some representative. Hopefully McDonald's bag. Yeah, uh, it's not, it's not going to go away. So, you know, maybe the congressman will just tell them, hey, why don't you guys just print some more money? Because that's what we usually do. And, you know, and, and, and in some ways, that's exactly what college football does. They solicit more from boosters and businesses, which are the equivalent of campaign donors. I mean, take, for example, the Tennessee Collective. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. I think it's the Spire Sports Group. They took Joe Milton and some other guys to New York City to meet with people and business leaders about potential NIL arrangements. Well, what's wrong with that? I mean, no. that's a. I think that's a good thing. But I do agree that in terms of continuity and probably in some cases to protect the players from themselves as it it uh, pertains to their educational and athletic goals, that some type of structure about how long they have to stay, what their end of the agreement is in terms of a contract-like thing of staying one place might best suit both the players and the other side. But as you uh, wisely pointed out, figuring out exactly what that looks like is going to to take some people willing to make some concessions to the past and understand that the free market uh, space of this has been opened up and it's not going away. You're not going to get a congressional rule and stuff the toothpaste back into the tube and make it go back to the old way where, okay, you can get a little endorsement deal from the local hamburger chain, but you know, but we're not going to have these big deals anymore. We're not going to have uh, people uh, able to transfer. That's gone. That's going to continue to be there. Now, find an honest, open way to structure all of this that best suits the needs of both sides. You know, one other quick point I noticed um who what maybe it was maybe it was John Cohen at Auburn. I can't remember exactly who I saw said this, but it it really stuck with me 
that the upgrades in facilities that we have seen for years and years and years and have become such a big part of it and a recruiting tool and making sure that these uh, athletic departments don't turn these big profits because, you know, of the uh, nonprofit status and all of that kind of stuff that the universities have to have. That money now is going to be funneled quickly to the players. And it reminded me of, uh, of a story that Jay Billis has, uh, has shared with me for years. And he, he was talking with an NBA guy. This has been a few years back who was at university of Kentucky practice facility. And which, which by the way, they want upgraded and overhauled. And I mean, the basketball ones, um, and, you know, was asked to compare it to what they have in the NBA. Go, so we don't have anything like this in the NBA and which seems which seems shocking. And the, and the question is why not? And the answer is like, because the money goes to the players and see that that's what, that's what will happen in the NIL space. I'm not saying you're going to go back to lifting weights in the garage or, you know, or playing uh, or playing pickup ball on, on the pavement outside. It's not going to be that, but maybe some of the ostentatious surroundings that you have in college sports might now those donations might be uh, funneled toward the players instead. And, and I shouldn't have used the word funnel because that makes it sound nefarious, but might be directed uh, legally to the players as opposed to, you know, having to put in another, uh, um, you know, I don't cryogenic chamber, whatever they do now to try to help with a uh, recovery. So here's a tension, Reese, that we've mentioned here before that I think is quickly going to come to a head. And that tension is, look, college sports are wonderful. This time of year, I've had a blast watching some of these college baseball games. The squeeze play that we're doing on, uh, oh, yeah. on ESPN UM Plus is awesome, right? I mean, it's yeah. uh, it's red zone for college baseball. It's great. Uh, I don't know if it – is this the first year they've done it? I think so. I think, yeah, I think it, they, they've had a lot of coverage of it, but I don't recall seeing it, that. Yeah, previously. it's the first year that I've seen it, and it's fantastic. Yeah. And I'm not like Johnny College Baseball where I can name all the players and know the draft picks and everything like that. But we're all sports fans, and we love mm -hmm. the postseason, and we love the drama and the tension. So anyway, this time of year is a great time to be a college sports fan. You're introduced to these wonderful characters and baseball, softball. I, you know, haven't gone to Syracuse, covered a lot of lacrosse. So I really uh, got a big kick out of the, the two semifinals, went to overtime Memorial Day weekend. All that said, because I don't want to sound like the Grinch, the business model for funding athletic departments is going to come in the crosshairs very soon. Mm -hmm. Because if you bring in $100 million for football, you are eventually going, and this is sort of some of the heart of the California bill, you are eventually going to have to spend that on football. And the funding mechanism of essentially one sport, some places two, funding 14 to 30 other sports is going to end. It's just going to. And it's not going to be clean and it's not going to be pretty. And there are going to be pain points. But the revenue sports funding all the other sports in the holistic way that they do right now is just something that is going to have to fundamentally change if the players are going to get compensated in a way that we think they eventually will. Now, whether that's unions, whether that's whatever, but the the money made from those sports is going to be invested in and spent on those sports to even a bigger caliber than it is now. And it is, it is a shame that that will likely mean teams are cut and that will likely mean things, you know, the the experience at a SEC AD tell me last week that his uh, soccer women's soccer team took five charter flights last year. Well, mm -hmm. you know what? If you if you are Georgetown, I'm just going to use an example or Maryland. 
I can I can drop your non-conference soccer schedule for you. And there's no bus trips <clears throat> over three hours as long mm-hmm. as there's no traffic. Like that, it's just like there's going to have to be this radical realignment in like the what the ACC baseball tournament may look like or field hockey tournament may look like it's just there's going to have to be a recalibration to to some financial realities well i hope they save some money to pay the umpires and fire the ones who are just bent on being part of the show i mean that was gross a couple of the a couple of the ejections a couple of the Clemson the, and, one I'm talking about. That uh, yeah, one the, Clem, the Clemson one was embarrassing. There was one for Indiana that was embarrassing. Um, there was a uh, there was a moment in the first game between Penn and Southern Mississippi in which a, a batter and a I mean bases loaded three two got called for the split second not attention to the pitcher. Now I don't really I don't really want to and, and called out and ended the rally. And you know as someone as someone pointed out. Uh, I know it's Bob Tewksbury, who's a hitting guru. Maybe it might even be from the Northeast. He's not. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's the one that you would think of. But that was a former pro baseball player. Yeah, he was with the Red Sox, and, though. Yeah, uh, that Bob right. Tewksbury. Yeah. yeah, and uh, so you know, he said, "Who feels good about this?" Well, the answer is nobody. The pitcher doesn't feel great about it. Of course, he's happy that he got out of the jam, but he wants to compete. And you know, I don't know what the answer is, but, you know, my son, who just finished college baseball last year and is playing pro ball right now, had a really interesting solution about this because, you know, he's outraged by it. And sure. um, maybe you allow um, either a a warning or you get a warning per batter per game if your attention's not there. Maybe you just let the pitcher throw it. You know, and and it's on the batter. If his attention is not there, I understand the safety aspect. But every batter in the world is going to know, you know, in his either in his gut clock or when he can see it out in the outfield that when he gets around eight, he needs to be looking at the pitcher. Yeah. And you know, you're not going to have this rash of guys getting quick pitched if you just say, "Hey, at eight, and I've given the signal to go, you can go." It keeps the umpires from becoming part of the show, which I contend, and this is probably somewhat unfair, but then probably, again, not at all unfair. Baseball umpires want to be the show more than any official in any sport. Football officials are the best in that they stay out of the way. Basketball, eh, it goes back and forth, but they're second. Umpires, for sure. And the whole deal about umpires, don't show me up. Every strikeout and every out call on the bases shows up somebody, except for the rare guy who just gives it the quick look out or strike three or whatever. It shows up somebody, you know, either shows up the pitcher or the batter, you know, or the fielder, somebody. And, uh, you know, safe, safe, safe shows up somebody. And, you know, it's um, anyway. Uh, it's a great I, point about football uh, officials. I've never thought about it that way. They, they only they get noticed when they're jacked, when they've got exactly, them. exactly. You know, and like the Ed Hockleys and uh, the you know the guys that don't miss curl days. There are your <laughs> odd Ted Valentine, and there is some aspect that they're sort of part of the theater of the show. You know what yeah. I mean? Like with a big yeah. and one, or yeah. I, I don't mind like a big punch out call here and there, but. Yeah, like there's been some, whew, man. There have been some bad stuff. And, and 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 college strike zones are notoriously random and bad, too. For, yeah. there, there are some great ones. There are some great ones. Reese, there's are. a lot of years of watching college baseball that I think some of the calluses are showing. No, no, no <laughs> doubt. No doubt. You know, the funny the funny thing is, is I will, I will give some credit what credit's due. And boy, I'm going to get in trouble on this one. But this is, this is not my kid. This is me from watching. 
when he moved from the Ivy League to the ACC, okay, the improvement in the <laughs> the improvement in the quality and the consistency of the strike zone was stark. I mean, yeah. it was it was nah. it was very very noticeable. We'll we'll put it that yeah. way. So, so there's an irony that that the Ivy Leagues on Friday nights actually get the best basketball officials because yeah. those guys don't have any other games to work on Fridays. The Ivies sort of notoriously <laughs> are the only, yeah. really the only, the Mac plays some, the MAAC Mac plays some. So, you know, the Ivy coaches will joke that they're going to have final four crews on Fridays. Now they're Saturday crews. <laughs> ah, like, yeah, probably not as a season, uh, maybe as some of the Friday crews. So that's just, we won't give all uh, we won't cast all Ivy uh, officials under the same. Uh, no, there's some there are some terrific ones and there are some terrific umpires too. But you know it's it's tough. It looks not it's a tough job. There's no doubt about it. But they have the job because they wanted to and they put themselves out there, so they get critiqued just like those Ivy League umpires that are hiding behind some burner account, crushing me for something I said on college game day. So turnabout's fair play. You know, <laughs> it's the way our society works. Are Colorado and Arizona headed to the Big 12? The story keeps it it comes out, you know, from one quarter or another, and then it's walked back and it comes out and it's walked back. Where do we stand on that? You're as plugged into this as anybody. So Colorado is probably like the biggest domino looming right now on the realignment landscape. Colorado has been in the most serious discussions with the Big 12. And to some degree, all of the corner schools and really all of the West Coast schools that are in flux of the Pac-12 right now have had various degrees of reach out connection. I don't want to make, paint Colorado like a rogue, like they're the only ones. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you are a Pac-12 school or a West Coast school and you are not seeking and doing due diligence on other league options, you are being negligent to your university. Now, mm -hmm. no one knows, Reese. Uh whether or not the Pac-12 is going to be able to pull a rabbit out of a hat here and come up with a deal that is sort of fiscally palatable for all of its members. Um, I think everybody's sort of come to the concession and Ray Anderson, the Arizona State Athletic Director and others have said this, that like they, they know they're not breaking the bank. So it's can they get a bridge deal in the middle of sort of a tepid economy right now with uh, with some bigger media companies and media stocks really struggling to 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 do to do just enough basically mm -hmm. and and to just kind of keep it in the fairway for a few years and and then try again and that's the tension so Colorado because they were in the uh they were in the big 12 uh not that long ago really um because of geography there's some of Dion is interested in uh in recruiting yeah, I mean if you're Dion Sanders you'd much rather recruit Dallas than LA right for sure like, it's just yeah. that just they, and he was a high school coach there he's obviously a star player there so there's clearly, uh, you know, there's clearly some some synergy there, some conversation there. There's some thought in Big Twelve circles that if Colorado goes, you know, do the dominoes fall, and then a you know a flurry of other Pac-12 schools go uh, go follow them. I've I've said this for a while, Reese, and I'm gonna I'm gonna stick to it. I'd be stunned before there is some type of Pac-12 number available on what kind of TV deal George Klyovkov, the Pac-12 commissioner, can get. If Colorado, who's the leader of the pack right now, or anyone else left the league, I think you are being fiduciary negligent 
to not see both numbers and not run out both options if mm-hmm. you're the University of Colorado. Now, there's frustration at the athletic director level. There's frustration at the presidential level of Colorado. That's all very real. Um, but ultimately, a huge major decision like a realignment move, Reese, has to come through, obviously, boards. It has to go through a lot of levels. And college presidents and college officials are notoriously inert. They are notoriously cautious. These are not, this isn't some, you know, umpire feeling as though it's firing off a decision. These There's checks, there's balances. I can't see a bunch of academics and a bunch of board members sitting in a room and saying, let's go for one multi-million dollar offer before we see the other. It just makes no business sense that they would do that. So I think everything stands pat until either the Pac-12 gives a number or it becomes apparent, which there's some suspicion of right now, that there's not going to be a tolerable number. Like when it when it comes, it when the Pac-12's hand is forced in a significant way enough where it can't show anything, I think at that point we may see some more traction the uh, the other way. But you talk to people in, out west, some of them still there's skepticism and there's annoyance, and I think a lot of schools are not pleased with how it's been handled at the league level because there has been a aura of vulnerability around the entire league now for three, four months, which just isn't good for business. It's not good for recruiting. It's not good for anything. Um, But there are some who think it's going to be fine still. And they're being told it's going to be fine still. Now it's not going to be some world crushing deal, but that, that notion does not exist. Um, the, you you know, there's no black hat, white hat here where there's like all these extremes. There There is some measure when you do talk to people. Um, but skepticism reigns until there are results. And that's where we are. I think a lot of people who listen to our podcast, Pete, and understandably so, might believe that, you know, these are our only interest. Um Sports a little bit, mostly football and all the stuff surrounding it. But um, I happen to know from our um, burgeoning friendship that has developed over the last year or so that you have outside interest. So what what did you think of, well, some, because we were discussing on text with our producers, you were all in on the Ted Lasso finale, but you had no idea. Do you really not have any idea what the marvelous Mrs. Maisel is? Did you really not know that? I've n- I still have no idea. You don't have any idea what that is. I, zero. It like is none. fabulous series. Well, seasons one and two are fabulous. Last one was good too. But I'm going to give. I, I want to give this because I need a platform to get this out there. Okay. She. It's about a a woman in the in the fifties. A a okay. traditional woman from the I think Upper East Side of New York. Um, she, she goes to, you know, find private school. She gets married, but she's got this, she's quick witted. She's always helping her husband. It's sort of almost like the stereotype. Well, it turns out she's wildly funny. Her, her husband has an affair on her and she, uh, wanders into this club called the gaslight delivers <clears throat> this edgy, edgy, edgy stand up. goes wild. And then it's about her struggle. And she eventually becomes a, a legendary superstar comedian over the years. Oh, anyway. Okay. So it, it's very interesting, but the one thing is, is the last series or the last season, the last couple of episodes. And anybody who's a fan, feel free to give us some feedback on this. Her ex-husband's name was Joel, who was a truly contemptible, unlikable guy early because of his duplicitness and because he was trying to uh, 
Moonlight is a stand-up, but all he really did was listen to uh, you know, Bob Newhart albums and then steal his stuff and then go try to deliver it. So he's a he is and he was just kind of his whole aura was unlikable, right? But by the end of the series, and this includes Joel's parents, uh, Maisel's parents, her, her name is Miriam. They call her Midge. Midge's parents, both sets of parents, her, her kids, her agent, everybody in the entire series epitomized selfishness basically to the end with the lone exception of Joel, who turned out to be the only, now he changed, he wasn't beginning, turned out to be the only selfless guy in the bunch to the point that he gave everything up to protect his ex-wife. Anyway, hmm. Joel's the hero of that of that entire series, along with Susie the agent. You should your your wife your wife would like it. You should watch it. It's good. Hmm? There 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 are great nods to history. There's great okay. great extended throughout the series. Nods not just nods, but Lenny Bruce is hmm. a character in the series. Right. Um, there there are like Johnny Carson. References and spinoffs. Uh, you know, there's a Lucille. Ball, I mean, no, I'm sorry, Carol Burnett reference. All kinds of. We're pushing through Succession now. Did you? Did you I, get on the we, train? We haven't not yet, but we were debating that last night. It's good. Yeah, it's I don't, really good. I don't want to come on here and bash a lot of series, but we have tried. Maybe it's because we are. You know, we're huge fans of the blacklist that's coming to an end. Loved Lasso, loved Maisel, a couple others I can't remember. We're looking for something new. And man, I'm telling you, I'm like oh for five. I I huh. I've turned I've turned two off, like giving it like 20 minutes. Guy, I can't do this. This is no good. And at least to me, and I realize it's all in the beauty of the beholder. But we all love Ted Lasso, right? We do love Ted Lasso. What, Reese. What'd you think? What'd you think of the lasso finale? I really liked it. You know. I don't think the, you know, maybe the whole last season wasn't great, but I thought they wrapped it uh, in a, uh, in a, in a pretty, uh, in a, in a pretty cool way. Um, it, yeah, the last season, there was some, re- like his mom kind of showing up and then disappearing. Uh, you know, there were, there were a couple couple things, but look, it, it it's hard to be as good as that was. I think the magic of Lasso is the writing, like just oh, yeah. keeping the character that consistently witty and yeah, you, you really felt attached to the characters at a, at a certain point. So yeah, I just, you know, generally like Ted Lasso was an A. Um, we can nitpick at some things here and there, but I, I really just uh, enjoyed it. I like soccer. Like I watch the World Cup, but I'm not like, you know, following the Champions League and the Premier League and, the, and that kind of stuff. We have we have enough bandwidth with the with with two Max and the Sun Belt, right? So um, but I just, yeah, I thought, you know, the, the, the Ted Lasso character was genius. The execution was great. They probably got more out of it than anybody thought they could. And, uh, yeah, I give them a lot of credit for the, uh, for, for the laughs. There were, there were a lot of them. I would, I would say over the course of the series that <clears throat> Ted Lasso is a lot like ice cream and Billy Joel seeing him live. Never disappoints. Yeah. There you go. Lasso reference. So here's what we're going to do right now. People, you know, you don't know if the series is over or not, right? Uh, people are saying, well, maybe there's going to be uh, the next iteration, a sequel, a reboot, as it were, and we'll see the next chapter. So you and I had this idea that really what the next chapter should be is Ted Lasso gets a coaching job in America back in college football. What job should we give him, Reese? Let's 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 give him a job. Oh, he's. I mean, 
he's got to have he's got to have a job in the Midwest. Sure. It's, yeah, it's got to be. I don't want to fire anybody, but I mean, I think probably because of where he's from, you'd say Kansas or Kansas State, but they they both those programs are in really good hands. What about like so, Northern Illinois? Yeah, right? we can get Richmond yeah, is a little off the beaten path. You know, yeah, that's a be, good one. You know, give him the Northern Illinois we job. Give him the Northern Illinois job. So, okay, if if Ted were to get the Northern Illinois job in our series, and we were going to cast this series not with not with stars, but cast them with characters from college football. Let's let's cast our Ted Lasso sequel with college football characters and figures from now can you, you want to do this you think we can do this oh i'm ready man i'm ready okay. to do it yeah. okay now sarah are you going to uh sarah's our producer are you going to call out the characters and then we're going to go back and forth or how do we want to do this yeah i can call out the characters and then you guys can banter off each other so let's start with the star of the show obviously who's going to be ted lasso pete you want the first swing there I will take it in in a nod to Northern Illinois. I will take a Northern Illinois alum to play Ted Lasso. And I will take PJ Fleck, former Northern Illinois wide receiver, uh, someone whose positivity and the way he coached really was, I, I think, ushered in, helped usher in a new generation of coaching. Energy, motivation by love, the row the boat thing mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. you obviously you guys did game day at western michigan yep. and just sort of saw how he created a uh a new path for coaching so i will give uh i will give pj fleck his uh his his midwestern kindred spirit the uh the role of ted lasso i, I think that's a great choice there were a couple of other candidates that i thought of for the job i would probably lean fleck that's probably the winner but two other guys i would call in to at least read for the part right <laughs> would be uh, Mac Brown and Dabo Sweeney uh, because Dabo has a lot of slogans on the wall at the Clemson complex, which I know you've been in there. They, they all don't just say believe and nobody's going to tear them up, but there are a lot of things on the wall at Clemson. And there's a lot of, a lot of that feeling and Mac, you know, he too, like Dabo and like PJ, he has a hard time being around people who don't believe in themselves. And I also think this is the other little thing is sometimes they're all viewed as CEOs, but I also believe that all three of them probably understand more total football than they're given credit for, you know? <laughs> so yes, I think yeah, that's, I think that's so, fair. Yeah. Yes. So I, I would go with those. Okay. Next character, Sarah. All right. Let's go with beard. I'm very, very intrigued to hear your answers. <laughs> Man, I've gone all over the place here and I've got some candidates, but I, I have decided that there's one. If I am allowed to take one who is currently out of coaching, it's got to be Ed Ogeron, right? He has some he has some keen insights in some areas, but also a uh, prodigious appetite for the bizarre. So, I mean, it's got to be Coach O as as beard, right? I got a couple other candidates, but that that would he would be my leader, Pete. So I thought about this for a while last night, and I would cast the late great Mike Leach's beard because there's some quirky genius. There's a significant <laughs> affinity and outside interest. Mike Leach, nobody had more outside interest than Mike Leach. And Beard would clearly go down those rabbit holes of musicals and movies and uh things he 
And Beard is generally strange, as we saw with yep. his relationship with Jane and such. Mm-hmm. And Mike Leach was as generally strange and endearing of a coach as we've ever met. So God rest his soul. I couldn't help but going back to Mike when uh, when I thought about Beard. That that's fair. I'm glad you made him eligible for that because he uh, he's the obvious choice. I also considered Jim Harbaugh. Uh, because of the eccentricities, but he would be completely miscast as an assistant. So that that it can't true. He's strange enough. Yeah, right. But he can't be. <laughs> he can't be an assistant. Sarah, who's next? All right, let's go with Roy Kent. Bollocks. I've I've got it. This is no. this is hands down. This is easy, right? It's Kirby Smart. You say, wait, what? He's a head coach. I get it. And I also know that Roy Kent was a former star player. And between the hedges during Kirby's good playing career, I wouldn't say that he patrolled the Georgia secondary and they said, he's here, he's there, he's every freaking where, Kirby, Kirby. Although they might say that in recruiting sometime. But here is why Kirby Smart is Roy Kent. They may have different accents, but they have the same vocabulary including the same favorite word. And it ain't <laughs> oi. <laughs> That's fair. I like I like that, but I I'm gonna go with Luke Fickle as Roy Kent. First of all, Luke Fickle still does looks Roy, like does Luke Fickle swear. I would say that Luke Fickle has the same square jaw simplistic approach. He is not like an overt cursor, I would say. Okay, I also yeah. don't think he's afraid of swearing either. <laughs> I, don't, I certainly don't want to start, uh, you know, get get anyone in trouble here. But I uh, I feel like Luke Fickle's approach is more Roy Kent than Ted Lasso. And I actually wrote that in a story about him a couple of years ago, which made which made me think about it. First of all, Luke kind of looks like him, right? Like they like yep. like like Roy Kent is a like. Looks like he could still play former player. Luke Fickle looks like he could go get, you know, he could go run down on special teams for the uh, for the Badgers still at this point. They kind of have the square draw. Luke Fickle's not a smiler, right? Like that's not exactly the, uh, you know, he's got that yep. like trestle sort of, you know, square jaw kind of kind of grimace. Doesn't doesn't give a lot away. I think in uh, body language more than actual language, uh, you know, Luke Fickle fits the. Uh, Fits the Roy Kent, uh, Roy Kent mode. Boy, this this is this is fun, but I'm going to tell you, you know, taking on a challenge like this is sort of like riding a horse. If we're comfortable while we're doing it, we're probably doing it wrong. Uh, Sarah, <laughs> who's next? I love like the sneaky like quotes. They just are killing me. Okay, <laughs> who do you have for Jamie Tart? I'll let Reese go because he can sing the song. my daughter gets mad at me because when i sing the song i sing it wrong and now i do it intentionally you know that jamie tart dude 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 but i started singing it around the house like jamie tart 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 like you just repeat his surname over i got a good jamie you got okay give me a great jamie tart now what do you i'm gonna take quinn ewers to play jamie tart oh that's a great one that's way better than what i chose go ahead Jamie Tart chased the flash for a while, just like Quinn did when he went to Columbus. Yeah. Quinn's found a warm homecoming and some success after some adversity at Texas. Both uh, spent a lot of time chatting about their hair and had a lot of people chatting about their hair. And uh, Quinn Ewers is, if you believe the reports coming out of Austin this spring, is coming out of his shell and uh, emerging as a uh, as a star, maybe, maybe a little later than people want it. 
that that's much better than mine. Much, much better. I had a similar thought, but yours is more precise. I had DJ Uyangalale because remember he, he had the commercial and then the career sort of got sideways and crashed. He's found a place to reinvent himself. And occasionally, occasionally uh, a bitter feeling will somehow surface just a little bit about his past, but he wants to be great. And he's sacrificing the spotlight uh, to try to get there. Also, Oregon consider- State is a good Richmond, like like that. Yeah, I think so. I think so too. I had I had Spencer Rattler too as a contender, but I I think I think yours is is the winner there. That's a great great call, Sarah. Who's next? All right, let's do a good on the same token as redemption arcs. Let's do Nate. So my Nate, I I went and looked at coaches who didn't play or didn't play at a significantly high level as uh, someone I didn't, I wasn't able to find any former kit men. So I needed to find somebody maybe with a different, a little bit of a different unconventional background and a little bit of like a bigger thinker. So I took Dave Aranda, the Baylor coach. Uh, Dave worked as a security guard during his, uh, during the night shift during his uh, early in his career, he had to retire from injuries He attempted to join the Navy at some point. And Dave Aranda is sort of the epitome of the cerebral thinker, um, which Nathan Shelley has grinding out his uh, film and his strategies. So I went with uh, Coach Aranda to play Nathan Shelley. I went with Tom Herman. Hmm. Uh, Dave Aranda's old roommate. Yeah, exactly. So so I guess we were on the same page. Sort of a kit man in terms of coming up through the ranks and his playing days were off the, you know, off the beaten path. Sort of the offensive brains, as it were, behind 2014 Ohio State as they mm-hmm. start to ascend uh, uh, to greatness. And then is put in charge of the perceived most opulent power in the sport. Fair. But then has an awakening and is rediscovering himself in a place that feels a little bit more like home and sort of uh, more, uh, as he told us on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, that suits him. So uh, I think both those calls, both those guys would be great. Nate, the greats, and they probably even like taste of Athens. Yeah. I was going to say, if they like tzatziki, that would, could be the uh, game breaker. Here. <laughs> I love Greek food, by the way. I really want to go Me to too. taste of Athens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's do the hero of the story. The real hero, Rebecca. I don't know her new last Welton. name. Welton. Right. Yeah. Welton. Yeah. Rebecca Welton. Yeah. I think this has to be some fancy Hollywood editing because because she she changed right at the beginning of the series she was willing to to smash her own team right in order to get get back at someone right so without calling any names and I won't call a name here early rebecca has to be the Auburn booster or boosters orchestrating the coup against Brian Harson and Alan Green uh, regardless of you know what would happen uh, to get back at not getting their way, but then Rebecca has to morph into you know into someone more likable. Um, so then maybe she morphs into um, maybe she morphs into Phil Knight. My uh, my Rebecca Welton thought was uh, Jen Cohen, the AD at Washington. She has a she has a team in transition, a little bit unmoored, tough breakup with USC and UCLA, and uh, she's just trying to figure out a way to get the Huskies uh, you know in the best place possible. Has she tried? Has she tried to hire a soccer coach to undermine her own football team's success in the early going? She hasn't done that. No, she hasn't done that. But late Rebecca was really became like a pretty redeeming character. Oh, she was awesome. She, yeah, she was, like uh, yeah. No, that's what I was saying at the end. 
she is, you know, she is invested in winning. She has not, she is no longer, uh, she's no longer worried about, you know, Rupert anymore. Are there, are there any more characters that are, that we really have to cast here, Sarah? Who do you think? I'm going to throw a curveball at both of you. I want okay. you to cast your own AFC Richmond and your West Ham of this year. Oh, that's oh, good. Of the, uh, of the season. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I kind of like my Oregon State call on Richmond. They're, you know, coming off a coming off a plucky season, um, fighting for their place uh, in the uh, in the in the Power Five infrastructure with the with the Pac-12 in flux, and uh, yeah, staring at uh, what should be like an all-time great uh, team, but amid amid tough competition. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take the Beavers as my Richmond. Who do you get as Richmond? Okay, I, I probably would have gone there too, but then I will go North Carolina State. Hmm. You know, maybe with Robert and I coming in, got a new quarterback. Maybe you know, maybe they're kind of on the outpost, and and they'll uh, they'll go strong. And West Ham uh, team to beat Giants of the sport, villains of the sport. I mean, probably up until last year, that was easily cast as Alabama. Now it's got to be cast as Georgia. I think. Uh, I mean, Georgia's easily West Ham now, right? So you can take them. I'll take. I'll, I'll stick with my West Coast version of this, and I'll take USC as the big bad villains, breaking up the league, causing oh, okay. chaos, right. and uh, you know they're they're an easy foil for uh, for the plucky beavers. Then, then I will also say there's one one character that's easily easily cast, Sarah. It's uh, Trent Krim is definitely Thamel, right? He's got to rough <laughs> hair a little bit. And I really, I really want Thamel to go in and start standing up, you know, long hair and going, Pete, Pete Thamel, college game day, right there before you <laughs> ask the question. I'd have to, I'd have to improve my repertoire of like rock t-shirts. I just have, <laughs> I have a Montana state freebie that I have on right now. So well, you've got to, you got to make the character your own. So you yeah. can, your, mm-hmm. your whole deal instead of rock t-shirts could be, uh, it could be obscure college. Uh, I have plenty of those. Yeah. My wife throws them out every week. <laughs> oh man. I tell you getting, getting to do fun stuff like this on the podcast. I, I mean, I feel like that we fell out of a lucky tree and hit every branch on the way down and ended up in a pool of cash and sour patch kids. Isn't it great? <laughs> it is it is great. I know you like Ted Lasso. I didn't know you had it like committed to memory grease. I, I don't. I made some notes. I'm not gonna okay. I don't want to lie. Right. I don't want to lie to the podcast people. <laughs> what do you think, Sarah? Are we do we have a future as casting agents? Yeah, who wins, Sarah? I think you do. I think we should maybe let Jason Sudeikis and Brett Goldstein decide as they are the writers of the show. So everyone be sure to tweet at them to listen to this episode so then they can weigh in. <laughs> well, you know, I am completely open to that because I am more open than a jar of peanut butter on my counter. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll stop. I'll stop. I'll stop. Now you know when my daughter gets annoyed with me, right? Because I do all that stuff. Weren't there rumblings? We tried to get Sudeikis to be the guest picker Definitely when we were in did. Kansas. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah. and he, I don't, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say that out loud. No, it's okay. I, it was yeah. open to it. I think they were shooting. He couldn't get mm. back and forth. There was, there were some logistics, but uh, he was very gracious or his people were, were very gracious and open to it. So hopefully that'll happen at some point. Can we extend him an open invitation? Uh, I would, I would love to. Okay. And I would want him. I've always had this idea, this concept that, um, that, Actors come in character sometime and do and do the entire thing. It would be great ah. if Sudeikis would come as Lasso and do the entire thing. Wearing some wearing some sweet J's. He had a great sneaker collection. 
But this is, I said this to say, this has been a concept that I've really wanted to embrace <clears throat> for some time. Having a guy come as a very popular or woman, whoever, an, an actor come as a, as the very popular character that they portray. I would love to have Rebecca Welton in character show up and come be the guest picker. That would be phenomenal. Or, or Keely Jones, who, by the way, Keely Jones would be cast in our in our Ted Lasso reboot as any of the great SIDs across the country who have the player's best interest at heart first and always. So You mentioned E.J. E. Borghetti from Pitt, which made me laugh because he's a wonderful guy and a great SID. A little bit of a square compared to Keely, though. Well, E.J. So. E.J. <laughs> e. is I mean, E.J. and I are very, very good friends. And it's uh, it's one of those things where you I often say like among coaches with probably the notable exception of Hubert Davis. Um, I don't really have friends who are coaches. Sure. I, I have friendly with mm-hmm. a lot of coaches because typically I consider friends, people who I know about their families, they know about mine, you know, things mm-hmm. like that. And for the most part, you know, there are probably some exceptions here and there other than Hubert, but Hubert and I are actually like, you know, well, you work together for, yeah. yeah. What, I mean, a, we became very close friends and we share a lot of the same values sure. and all that kind of thing. So I don't look at it that way, but EJ, I consider EJ like a, an actual friend. He's just a tremendous, tremendous person. And now he's getting more, getting more love on the podcast and, yeah. you know, so that's, there he goes. So hail to Pitt. So don't, let's not quit our day jobs and you go to DC and try to get this whole NIL thing straightened out with the NCAA. So yeah. I'll have it wrapped up by Thursday at lunch. Right, <laughs> we'll yeah. fix it all. Yeah. That, that'd be great. Thanks for, thanks for <laughs> checking in on that, Pete. That's great. Yeah. Everybody's going to appreciate no problem. that. We've got a smooth <laughs> generation of college athletics, uh, you know. Yeah. See, we're not just college football, just mostly college football. <laughs> really appreciate it. I hope you had a good time. If you got some ideas for our casting on Ted Lasso, you yeah. can hit, um, you can hit Pete or me on Instagram, on Twitter, download this podcast, wherever it is that you like to get your podcast.